chance to hear from three of the wise men in this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Chief Executive Steve Phillips, Performance Director Nigel Walker and Head of Participation Geraint John. We hear from them on a wide range of subjects coming up, but with Wales women facing France on a Friday night this week, we'll start there and the return of number eight, Charlotte Harris. So, how does it feel to be back? Really good. I'm really excited to be back in the fold again and, yeah, just really excited every week, working hard with the girls and then putting a performance in the weekend. When you're on the pitch, first start of the weekend, what were your thought processes over given the last few years as well? The same as any other game day, really. Um, just focusing on my roles, um, focusing what I can do for the best of the team. Obviously, last three years are always in the back of my mind because of the hardships of it all. But for me, it was just it was just amazing to play in front of a sellout crowd, in front of friends and family once again, and again just being on the pitch with with the girls. Coming off the bench in the first couple of games and then getting the start, what were your feelings? You sort of ran on again, overwhelming, emotional because you know you, you kind of run it through a few times in your head. You know, use the imagery of what you hope it would go like or how you hope it would feel like, but. I think coming on against Ireland, there was a lot of nerves in the stomach. Just really happy to grind out the win against Ireland. And again, obviously for me, the last time I played international rugby as well was out in Ireland. So for me, it was a bit magical per se. And then again against Scotland, coming on earlier than I expected to, to be honest. But no, I was just happy again with my performance against Scotland. And and that's what I'm hoping to do really, is just to perform every week whenever I get the chance. How different is this Wales camp from the last time you were involved? Very different. Um, obviously, there's new coaching staff, there's new girls coming in. Obviously, the environment itself is different because standards have been driven now with the professional contracts, the retainer contract. So, no, it's very different, but it's it's also quite refreshing. It's really good. It's a different environment, but a good one. And we were asking Johan if uh, there are still full-time contracts up for grabs, and he was saying everything's under review all the time. Is that where you would like to see yourself going now you're back involved? Um, yeah, obviously, um, that would be a conversation I'd have with Johan if he felt that I, I warranted um, a contract. But obviously, I'm, I'm fully invested into my job as well now as a PE teacher. That's my career at the moment. But anything I can do or whatever I can do to help the team progress, I'll definitely take it with both hands. How do you reflect in the last few years? When you look back, what can you say about um, I won't say too much. <laughs> but obviously, looking back at it, it was hard. There's a few dark times. Because, like, obviously the last three years, it was tough for me because I always found rugby as, as, like, my identity. So it was tough. But, again, in your darkest moments, you find your greatest strength. And I learned a lot about myself, a lot about others. I put a few things into perspective for me. And I feel stronger coming back into the squad this time round. Again, like you mentioned earlier, the environment and stuff. And I just, for me, the focus is, is on myself, my performances, and obviously hoping then that those two put together can really drive the squad forward. What's the last breaking period given you a new perspective coming into camp this time around? Yeah, it has. And obviously, again, the environment has changed itself. The, the standards are definitely higher, I feel, now in the squad. Um, the expectations also. But for me as well, it's, it's just taught me as well to trust myself, trust the process, really. I know it's how cliche it sounds, but like I said, I feel like for the past few years, I'm, I'm stronger mentally for it. Um, I feel like I've built more resilience and... I've understood myself a lot more as well because obviously it was, like I said, it was tough. But again, I've come back in. Yohan's been very supportive. The coaching staff have been very supportive. The players also. And once I'm here, it's all forgotten. 
because all I'm focused on now is, is looking forward to the future and how I can drive this team short term through the Six Nations and also how I can contribute to the team leading on to World Cup, hopefully. A lot has changed in that time yeah. in camp, as you've touched on. Can you give us any sort of working examples of where things are perhaps different with the, with the way the week works or, or the environment generally? Is there anything you can sort of give us a working example? With regards to just how we're managed and how we manage ourselves um, is really different. Obviously, um, everything is more player-led, player-driven, I feel. And I think and I think you need that in this environment because you need to take ownership, especially because you are one of the 15 or one of the 23 taken to the field on game day. So in that way, it's, it's really player-led, um, which again drives the standards, but also the support from the management and the player management also is you know, much more professional as well. How are the sort of squad reacting to defeat to England? Because obviously up until now in the campaign there's been a lot of highs. It's the first time you've got yeah. a bit of a challenge. What has the reaction been to that? Obviously players, naturally to the result, were, were a bit upset. But we reflected on it early. We've put it to bed. The focus now is, is going on to France. But I think one thing we really do need to take from the past three games is if you look at Ireland and Scotland, you know, a couple of years back, we would never have grinded out those wins. We wouldn't have known how to win those type of games. And obviously coming up against England, we knew what type of challenge they'd be. They're the best in the world. And if anything, we've taken a few learning curves from it as well. And again, if you don't win, you learn, per se. So the learning curve we've taken from that, the lessons we've learned, will definitely put us in good stead now towards France. How much better is it, Shannon, playing in the games rather than watching it from the side? (laughs) So much better, a lot better. Yeah, much better. It was heartbreaking, especially in the early days. I feel like I was much more fortunate than most as well because obviously I kept my interest working on many of the games and um, still being in touch with a lot of the players as well. But yeah, that was tough. But I think as well, keeping that engagement with the girls and supporting the girls also helped. Did you think about quitting? Um, yes. Yeah, I did think of quitting, but then I knew that's not my character. I don't like to give up. And I knew myself that I wasn't done. And I just knew as long as I just kept true to myself, worked hard, I mean... I have to pay thanks to Worcester, my club. They helped me a lot. Um, they supported me a lot as well. So, you know, with their involvement and obviously my mindset of not wanting to give up, I wasn't happy to go out on, on those terms. So, yeah, no, it's really good. How many miles round trip a week is it at the moment for your commitment directly? Well, at the moment it's just here. Yes. Um, but obviously to Worcester then it's, it's, it's quite far. But obviously, you know, it, it's my choice at the end of the day, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a couple of hundred miles, but it's my choice. It's what I want to do and it's what I need to do. So how do you think we're going to be going into this World Cup, preparation-wise, as opposed to the last three? It's hard to say, isn't it? Because obviously every preparation is different. But as a squad and as a union, with it goes to the women's team, I feel like we're in a better place now. Yeah. Obviously, with both the financial and the time investment into us as a squad, but again, as we develop, so does every other nation. But I do feel we're fortunate enough as a country, we play in one of the best tournaments every year, which is the Six Nations. Um, and I think that always puts us in great stealing into the World Cup. But preparation is key. But again, our, our main focus now is the Six Nations. And obviously, how we finish the Six Nations will, will determine then how we best prepare for the World Cup. listening to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. And getting a good result against France would be a good start in that process. But there is a longer term perspective too. Now it's a chance to hear from three of the top men in Welsh rugby on that. 
WIU Group Chief Executive Steve Phillips, Head of Participation Garrett John and Performance Director Nigel Walker. There was plenty to talk about. And starting with some good news from Garrett John about the community game and first Nigel Walker reflecting on the progress of Wales women. To say how delighted we are with the progress we've made in a relatively short period of time. Obviously in the autumn we won two games out of three. Uh, first time we've won a game in two years. And obviously the victory against Ireland was the first Six Nations game we've won in two years. The important thing to say is that we're on a journey here. We've turned things around, but we're not going to get anywhere near optimum level for a few years. Uh, we're in it for the long haul. People need to understand that, and it's great to win games today and tomorrow and the next day, and we're in the, the business of winning games. Of course we are. But the most important thing for me is to put in place a programme which is sustainable and which guarantees, in inverted commas, a continuous supply of quality players to the national teams, and, and that's what it's about. So yesterday I was in Edinburgh watching our under-18s, who had about five or six training sessions before playing, but they won the two games they played on Saturday, and they won yesterday against Ireland. And we're going to be establishing an under-20s uh, squad over the next few months. That's the top end of the pathway. And you will have seen this week that I've appointed John Older as a head of player development, <coughs> and, and John will straddle male and female. But the important thing is that from the age of seven or eight, when a boy or a girl picks up a ball, there's a seamless pathway right through uh, to the senior team, which is why I've been working very closely with Geraint and his team to ensure that the opportunities are there at under 12, under 14, under 16, because it's really important that people are channeled into the correct stream to make sure that they fulfil their potential. So it's a, it's a long-term goal. It's about sustainability. It is a plan, and I'm very confident uh, we'll reap the rewards of those plans in three, four, five years' time. Which doesn't mean to say we're going to lose every game between now and then, but it takes a while uh, to put in place a pathway. Two years ago, there was no road to Principality, which is, would have happened next week. We didn't have the other sevens, which would have, was, took place last week. We had no leagues, we had no cups. We, didn't, we weren't even playing, and everybody said the game is gone and game is dying. Still, somebody tells me the game is dying. But actually, when you look at it, we do have more players now actively registered in our game than we've ever had before. And that's pre-COVID, when we started online registration. So to actually play, you have to actively register with us. So for us, it's actually a real plus-plus story. You know, we've reached over 50K, 50,000 actively registered players in our game. We've never had that before. Another system where you could actually categorically say who is playing and who isn't playing. Prior to that, you know, we were just going off spreadsheets. I think I was in the Half West spreadsheet, sort of, uh, which was still going, right? <laughs> which uh, uh, shows how record-keeping was kept. But right now, we have actively registered. And I think that's a real, real plus in terms of... There are some highlights in that as well, sort of like in terms of the women's game, and as Nigel talked about, 40% increase. We know there's a massive increase and in interest in the women's game, not only in club land and our hub land and in schools, etc. So that is a huge, huge increase for us. It's interesting to note of the 17 to 18 year old boys, we've got more 17 to 18 year old boys playing than we've ever had before. We know there's a drop off usually at the 16. Why that is, obviously we've still got to look at that. We are going through a bit of a situation at the moment where we're looking at what does our youth level look like? Is it under 18 or is it under 19? We have been under 18 through the COVID period. Has that made a difference of a thought process to a 16 year old player that he's only playing against? under-18s and not under-19s, I don't know, but we're going through that process at this moment. So I think there's a, 
a bit of a plus news that we've got more of these players actually playing. 23rd, we had the Road of Principality. We did the, the first part of Road of Principality in the Wales Scotland game. We had over 1,200 young girls at the stadium. All the hub programs were there. We had 4,000 plus parents watching it before they went into the stadium. Then we'll have the 60 teams come into the Road to Principality Stadium right throughout. And we'll have a whole program there from schools, clubs, youth, all 60 games. Every single game streamed, live streamed. We've never done that before. So anybody anywhere around Wales will be able to watch them. Uh, they're playing at their clubhouse as well. So I think sort of, I keep looking back two years thinking what the journey we've been on. And don't forget, we've actually had lockdown even this season as well. We've had to add restrictions. So for me, it's, I think it's a plus news, but it doesn't mean it's the end part as well. It's that we've still got a lot of work to do to increase the numbers. Fantastic road to Principality Week coming along in terms of our community game. We've still got our leagues to finish. And last week, if anybody saw the other sounds happened to be in Cardiff, 5,000 plus players playing last week from schools. And, and again, so what I says, you know, we read things going, we don't do anything in schools. We have over 100 people in schools now, we're hub officers, and a lot of activity happening in schools. So a lot of work being done. We keep talking about the negatives, but also sort of like there's some massive positives here, but there's still a long way to go because we haven't had, actually had a proper season yet, and hopefully that'll happen next year. Amongst the very many urban myths, Steve, is that World Rugby funding is based on participation. <coughs> is that still the case? Was it ever the case? We get various high performance grants and community grants, but I think it's based on deliverables as opposed to numbers. Right. And I think the other piece that we get from World Rugby, of course, is participating in the World Cup. The thing about the numbers is you're dealing with actual figures, but 13,000 senior players proves that something in our pathway is working. Because how do you get a competitive world ranked number three team, as was recently, from 13,000 players? It's remarkable. And I think that's the plus side of the story. Yeah. Just going back into the World Rugby, we do have to complete a lot of information for World Rugby. A lot of it is database, yeah. etc. We're in the middle of a conversation, all World Rugby countries at this moment, looking at what is each country capturing. Because you can capture the registered players, but what about the non-registered players? So, for example, if a child isn't playing for a club and happens just to be playing in the school, we don't actually capture that as actual evidence of who's playing. So we could have... A large number of players who aren't actively registered with us so we have a certain number of under 18 year olds but we could have a lot more in the male and the female game who just play in school because you don't have to register in school so again 13,000 players there not gonna lie it's just under about 2.5 percent down from what we've had pre-covid in senior matter players but when you look at the number of club teams that we have we still have enough players for every club team to actually play on a Saturday but I think it's a fantastic story to look at you look at the number of registered players probably in France, in England and other countries, and a little bit in sort of New Zealand. What we do and how well we compete at that top level with the number of players that we have. But we still want to be better. Do we want more players registered? Yeah. Do we want to be more successful? Yeah. But just to answer the World Rugby part, there is a lot of work being done there. And we're actually trying to make it a little bit more actual figures because some, some countries don't have that. But I think sort of The data you're capturing now should help you as well in that you don't know if you've got enough tight head prompts there or you don't know if you've got enough coaches here or there's growth in this part but there isn't there what's going on in the school so all this data capture now can presumably give you the ammunition you need to improve the figures and enhance the performance. In terms of data collection we've got everybody's information so we could email them, find information about them, send them information, they're great but we need to now go a little bit more of what we're looking at with other companies 
find our electronic team sheets. So then we know exactly how many props, loose air, tight air, hookers, etc. how many games they played, how many points they scored. We'd have a far more record. It, it, helped, it will help to grow the game. Helps to look as maybe there may be certain areas of Wales where there are shortage of certain players in certain positions. It helps the regional and the community team to go into that area and say, look, we need to develop more players in here. It'll help clubs to try and be a little bit more, okay, looking into the future, what do they need to do for the first team? So the data collection is great that we have, but once you have that data, you've got to look at what, what else is required to actually make it better, to actually keep the game growing, not only for the community aspect to keep the clubs going, but also to deliver players, because that's what we're after, deliver players to make our professional team successful in the male and female game, and ultimately to make Wales successful, which is what we're all about. Six Nations debrief, how's it been and what's been said? So clearly everybody was disappointed with the end result. We've debriefed a number of things, I'm not going to go into the relevant details of it. So, you know, Wayne and I have sat down, you know, Nigel and I have sat down, Wayne and Nigel have sat down, and it's ongoing. It's the learnings that are important, and we're not going to get overly distracted from, let's call it, an unwelcome loss. We track more about progress towards World Cup, take away the learnings, and try and make sure we're still on the right journey, and it's all about wanting to win every game. It's international rugby, you know, you're not looking to do anything but win albeit you recognise that you know there is a journey ahead to the World Cup. So it's more about you know taking away the learnings. You know, we've got a, a tough gig ahead of us now, so we've got a three-match tour in South Africa. We know how challenging that will be. I'm told the CEOs told me that it'll be the first time they've had crowds, full crowds, since COVID. So, you know, there'll be a lot more emotional on that. And then, of course, we've got New Zealand, uh, Australia and Argentina, and Georgia in the autumn. So, yeah, we've got a... Tough journey ahead of us. Full confidence in Wayne that he's the man to take you through for the next 18 months? We're all in this together, so it's a case of plotting the journey, everybody working together, making sure the plan is still right, making sure that, you know, if there's deviations, do we deviate now, do we deviate later? And I think my job is mainly more about making sure that, you know, Wayne and the team, and Nigel and the team, anyways, you know, have the right environment to give them the best opportunity for success. Consistency. World Trip is obviously up and down with results, win a title, two tournaments where you get one in five wins. How concerning is that? The classic agony and ecstasy of Welsh rugby, isn't it? You know, you can you can go, you know, pick France, you know what I mean? Great to have them back uh, at the top table. Remarkable that they haven't won a, a Grand Slam since, what, 2010? We'll grab the winning and the Grand Slams, and I think we just need to improve on the... Can we not have uh, so many fifths? Um, from a rugby values point of view, you know, I think we've got to recognise as well that was a really good try at the end, and you know, we've got to applaud Italy's efforts as well. What's the plan for professional rugby in Wales at the moment with regions and the national team? That falls very much within the governance of PRB. We have just appointed Malcolm Wall. Um, he is a very good appointment. Very engaged already. We meet regularly. We met yesterday. Nigel and I go to those meetings and we've got two meetings planned next week. So I think it would be inappropriate to give you the, the details of that until those conversations are concluded. Um, but what I can tell you, conversations are very wide reaching. They're covering probably all the things that you want to ask me. And I think they're done in the right spirit. It's all about doing the best for Welsh rugby and you know, what does that mean? You know, we want the national team to do very well, we want the regional teams to do very well. And you know, I do tell you this, you know, we're not there at the moment, so it's a case of trying to raise all the boats so we can get it uh, back on track. So you've heard it said there's a plan, strategy being formulated at the moment? All within conversations within the PRB ongoing and 
which I'd probably inappropriate to share with you until we are further advanced. And the way the governance works then, once the PRB conclude those discussions, they are shared with the WIU board. And then once we've got something to share, we're more than happy to do so. The culture of the union at the moment, <coughs> headlines and talking about being sexist, misogynistic, is that something that you would recognise within the organisation that you lead at the moment? It is something, any allegations of that nature, we take extremely, extremely seriously. We commissioned an independent legal review of them, and that ran its course, and it concluded. But I'm not going to use that as an excuse to not say to you how important culture is to us. So, you know, diversity, equality, core values of rugby, core values of the WIU, or the inclusion of women, whether that is playing, coaching, from board member and anywhere in between, fundamental to the WIU and to, to rugby. We're on a EDI journey, which is the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion. Uh, we've appointed independent experts to help us along the journey. Uh, that's been ongoing since probably late 2020. So we've had various board training sessions. We've had consultation with staff. We've got a board sponsor. Nigel is our executive sponsor in this space. and. Um, we had an all-staff call last week inviting staff contributions to this and we were at an overwhelming response and they are there then to hold us, including me, to account if we think we're not measuring up to the values. But I can't emphasize enough to you, equality, diversity and inclusion, very, very important to us. We want our staff to be, be able to participate, to be respected, valued and more importantly safe. I was just going to add uh, simply to that because it's a a subject that's dear to my heart, equality, uh, full stop, which is why I volunteer to be the exec board champion. Uh, And it's not just I want to be the exec board champion so I can have another badge, it's because I really believe that we can do something great. All organisations in the UK have been revisiting their ED&I policies as a result of George Floyd and the Me Too movement. So we're not in this alone. We recognise we can get better. Every organisation can get better, but we're going to do it from a staff point of view. So just this morning I had an email with all the people following the all-staff conference call last week who volunteered to be part of it. We've got too many people who want to be part of it. Now, you wouldn't have a tranche of people want to be part of it unless they thought the organisation was taking it seriously. So we will put together a strategy which will be driven by the people within the organisation for the people in the organisation. I can't say any more than that. It's a journey. Every organisation's on a journey. But it's not about necessarily correcting any wrongs. It's about making this organisation even better, an even better one to work in. Uh, and that's something I feel passionately about. Nigel, can I just ask your thoughts on, on the regions? Because obviously a year ago you, know, you did an interview and you, you expressed you know, that your concerns that if, if, if the standard of play at that level doesn't improve, then it'll, you know, the rot will spread to the national side. Perhaps we're already seeing that. You know, are there plans in place from your end to, to improve the regions? I think it's too early to say that the rot is setting in. I mean, well, it, we have it, lost it, victory at all. No, I know, but that doesn't mean the rot set in. Any team can lose a game. It can happen. And I think there needs to be a sense of perspective. And it, it's a low point. There's no two ways about it. But it doesn't mean that everything is wrong within Welsh rugby because we lost to Italy. And to emphasise what Steve said, we're in this together. So if the national team loses... Geraint feels it, Steve feels it, I feel it, everybody in the organisation feels it. We don't want to lose against Italy. The important thing is, are we doing the things day in, day out, week in, week out, which will remove the risk of that happening again? 
and that's what we're working on. And that's my conversations with Wayne are all about. And Wayne's been brilliant about it. He's under a bit of pressure. He knows he's under a bit of pressure. And yes, it hurts. And we want to do everything possible to make sure it doesn't happen. But Steve has just set out a series of games over the next six or nine months, which are pretty tough, and it will tell us exactly where we are. The important thing is, is that we're putting in place things that we do every day, every match week, post-match week, all the things that you're supposed to do in a performance environment to make sure you reduce the chances of it happening again. Isn't one of the ways to reduce that happening again, improving the standard at pro level as in the regional level? You're not going to get me arguing against that. Of course it is. And you'll probably recite what I said. And I stand by what I said. But the important thing, and Steve alluded to this, conversations have been taking place because they're not publicised. They've been taking place because the union and the regions need to work together collaboratively on this and to find a solution which guarantees Welsh success but also gives the regions a chance to be successful. So the union can't decide that on its own and those conversations are taking place. As Steve said, I can't talk about uh, those conversations but we're confident that we will find a solution which will guarantee success for Wales at all levels. Is the Welsh Premiership on your agenda as well? Because obviously you know, a lot of people you know, they'd argue that a lot of people don't know what the Premiership's for. Is there too many clubs? Some clubs want to win it. Well, everybody wants to win it, but some clubs' sole objective is to win it. Others is you know, to develop future regional players. What's your general thoughts on? Within a month of starting my post, I had two meetings <coughs> with the Premiership, and I've probably had half a dozen since. The Premiership is high on the list because it has to be the required standard so that it is the breeding ground for our age-grade players and others. So we're working on a number of principles, I'm not going to go into those principles, which we hope uh, the Premiership clubs will sign up to. And Geraint and I are as one on this, and the conversations are active. It's obvious the conversations are taking place outside of, of the room, which, which is fine, but the aim is to have a Premiership at the end of it, which is of the required standard, whether it's the top of the community game or the bottom of the professional game, the gap is closed between that and regional rugby. So that's the first part of our wide-ranging conversation with Chief Executive Steve Phillips, Performance Director Nigel Walker and Head of Participation, Garrett John. More next week, including how to improve the pathway for younger players, amongst other subjects. But until then, from the Welsh Rugby Union podcast, goodbye.